You're listening to Loving the Snow Life with Emma and Tennille. Tennille, our mum, and Emma, her awesome friend, share deep passion for the snow. They started the podcast together to share all their experiences with you. Between them, they have skied over 95 resorts, both held ski instructor qualifications, lived and worked in resorts, and still spent every hard-earned dollar skiing. They set their lives up around snow travel, and our ski bags are always packed, ready to go. We're certainly not complaining about this, are we? No way. And even better, we get to share all the experiences. Jenny Milton, aka Adrenogen, is a snow kiting coach and incredible human being. She talks with us today about snow kiting, Alaska, and her obsession with wind sports. Hi, Jenny. Nice to meet you. Hi, Emma. How you doing? Tanil, how's it going? I'm so excited to be here with you today. Yeah, we're excited to have you. Wow, this is really new to uh, the Australian ski, in- ski industry, I guess. Well, let us tell us if it is new, actually. We'll just say where you're from. So you're from Adrenogen, which is a play on your name. I love that. I love that so much. <laughs> it's such a cool name. <laughs> and, you do, <laughs> and you do snow kiting. You're a snow kiting instructor. That is that is correct. Well, let me mm-hmm. let me start with where Adrenogen came from because um, that's a that's a great story and and that started in Canberra. Uh, I'm so grateful to have been born to my my parents who owned a ski shop in Canberra from when I was born. So my brother and I grew up as little ski shop grommets hanging around the shop and we were taught to ski at the age of two. And uh, and my dad was also a sailor. So, um, you know, the summer holidays were spent sailing and the winter holidays were spent skiing. And um, so they had Canberra Ski Centre for 26 years in Canberra. And when I got to about the age of 18, snowboards were becoming popular and the snowboarders and the skiers didn't like each other. So my parents um, came to the conclusion we needed to separate the two and uh, Adrenaline Sports was born. Ah, okay. All right. So yeah. I was able to go out at a young age and sort of create the, the offshoot of Canberra Ski Centre, um, which was called Adrenaline Sports, and it had all the skateboards, the rollerblades, the snowboards, um, a wall full of skate shoes. It was it was a, a really fun, fun wow. shop to be what in. an environment to grow up in. <laughs> yeah, so, um, of course, it was Jenny from Adrenaline Sports, which uh, – I'm into all sorts of adrenaline sports. I've raced mountain bikes. I competed in uh, ski ballet back in the day, but I'm showing my age now. So, you know, all the all the adrenaline sports. So um, I was given the nickname Adrenogen long ago, and it's kind of stuck. So when I was trying to come up with the, the name of my business and my branding, Adrenogen was there. <laughs> yeah, it's right in front of you. And snow kiting, what? Is snow kiting and how did you get into it? Well, great question. Um, it actually follows on from um, I was talking about adrenaline sports and I remember having one of the, the snowboard reps come up and he was showing me, um, you know, 32, uh, the brand 32 snowboard boots and we went through the range and I ordered what I wanted for the following season and then I remember seeing um, a, a magazine, you know, it was in his hotel room that we were doing the showing, and I saw a magazine that had a picture of someone flying a kite on water. I'm like, I'm like, whoa, what is that? 
And he said it's kiteboarding. That was the very first time I'd either seen or heard of kiteboarding. Mm. And I went, well, wow, that looks amazing. Um, I'd grown up windsurfing and sailing, like I'd mentioned. So it, uh, it was pretty exciting. And I said, well, how do I get into that? And he said, well, we're the importers of, of these kites, um, which was Nash back then. And, um, and I said, well, well, put one of those on my order too. I knew nothing about it. And I had this, this kite, um, arrive with my snowboard boot order. And, um, I decided I would go and try flying it, um, on the, the greens of Parliament House in Canberra, <laughs> which was an absolute disaster. I'm lucky to be alive to tell this story, but I, I, I launched this kite and it drug me across the grass. And I remember people jumping on top of me to, to mm-hmm. stop me down. And uh, I survived. I went back to the store and walked in the front door just covered in grass stains, about the same colour as I am now. <laughs> and um, and uh, my staff just went, oh, my God, what the hell happened to you? <laughs> and I, I told them the story and, and that was uh, the first time I realised I really needed to go and get a lesson. I really yeah. needed to know all the safety about this kite. And unfortunately, back then, there were there were no kite schools in Australia. Um, the only kite school I could find was, was in Hawaii, yeah. right? And um, I had planned on going to the SIA trade show in Vegas, which is where they show all of the, the cool yeah. skis, the snowboard gear. And, mm-hmm. um, and after that, I was, was lucky enough to go up to Alaska on a heli ski trip, my my dream trip of all time. And I took that damn kite with me to Alaska yeah. because the plan was on the way back to stop in Hawaii for that lesson that I'd been dreaming about. And uh, when I was up there heli skiing, there were some stormy days when the helicopter couldn't fly. Mm. And I'd met this really cute, sexy heli ski guide. Um, as, you and, 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 <laughs> as you do. And um I'd been chatting with him and he'd also mentioned he was a windsurfer and I said I had a kite with me and he had some trainer kites too. So we went out there um, in the field near the heli ski operation and we flew our kites. Now, I was probably trying to impress him and, you know, he he was under the impression I actually knew how to use that kite, but I still (laughs) hadn't had my lesson. And he had these, you know, beginner trainer kites, which he made it look easy. He was cruising along on his snowboard and I flew this kite and, oh, my God, I was out of control and um, I ended up, I I couldn't figure out how to land. Oh, my gosh, how scary. I I couldn't figure out how to land it. And I was also ignorant to the fact that you shouldn't have things downwind of you that you could get dragged into, such as trees and helicopters believe it or not. The helicopter was there. So I I finally came to the conclusion that I needed to run my kite into something to stop it, and I chose the tree over the helicopter. Smart move. Yeah, smart move, right? (laughs) (laughs) Basically, I mean, excuse my ignorance, but I feel like you were hanging on, but you sound like you were physically attached. Like you couldn't leap off, right? No? No, no, you you are attached to the kites. You know, okay. these okay. these days all the safety systems are a lot different to that was 20 years ago. So kiting's yeah. changed. All the kites have a lot more safety systems these days. But back then mm-hmm. um, they were a little bit dangerous. And, and, yes, I was attached to it. 
And even though it was on the ground, it was still pulling me. So um, I ran it into the tree and and went inside and 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 uh, had a beer. And uh, that cute heli ski guide is uh, is now my husband of twelve years, and and we both in, enjoy kite surfing and snow kiting around the world. So that was the day I fell in love with him, and the day I fell in love with uh, with snow kiting. Yeah, yeah. Well, Alaska of all places to start, really. <laughs> Amazing. I love a great snow romance story. Yes. <laughs> did you um did you hurt yourself when you went into the tree? <laughs> like, no, no, okay. I didn't. Luckily I'm in Alaska and it was deep powder snow and yeah, yeah, it was it was it was a good time. Um but I did realize that safety is is so key with with learning to fly kite and I went to Hawaii and I had a lesson and I learned all the the safety features of those kites um and I'm so grateful to my first instructor who taught me some really great lessons um mm-hmm. and I suppose that's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about teaching other people to to snow kite so that I can pass on all of this safety information that I've collected over my 20 years of snow kiting. Tell us a bit more about the actual snow kite itself. What does it look like? How, How does it operate? How do you do it? So when we start, we start with a trainer kite. Now, a trainer kite is a small kite um, normally between 1.5 and 3.5 metres. Um, it has two lines for steering and one line for safety. So if we let the kite go, it just falls out of the kite, out of the sky, lands on the ground with no power. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel comfortable putting little kids on these kites. They mm-hmm. are really the safest safest way to learn. All you have to do is let go of the bar and the pull and the power stops. Mm. Once you you get through that stage, the next stage is to go to a bigger four-line powered kite, which you're now going to attach to your harness and you'll also have a leash attached. Mm. Now, you have the choice of two different sorts of kites. You can use an inflatable kite, which is the same ones we use for kiteboarding and kite surfing in the water. And then there's also land-based kites. We call them foil kites. And they were designed for using on land such as buggies or snow. Um, The difference is the inflatable kites we pump up with a pump and air is sealed inside the struts so that the kite holds its shape. Mm -hmm. Therefore, if we crash it on water, it floats and we can do a water relaunch. Yeah. The great Mm -hmm. thing about snow kiting is that both kites work. You can use both the inflatables or the foil kites on snow, um, and they're they're both fantastic. They have pros and cons, um, and some kites may be better in different situations or if you've got a certain style you're wanting to achieve, um, but both kites work well. So anybody who's a kiteboarder already and has some kites, if if you've got skis and a snowboard and some backcountry gear, you're you're, you're pretty much ready to go. Yeah. So so what keeps you on the ground? your weight or like sorry I'm just thinking I've got this kite attached Mm. to me (laughs) yeah (laughs) and a wind gust how do I not go up in the air and go for a ride (laughs) that's a that's a really really common question that I get they're like aren't you going to end up in New Zealand and I was saying I wish I would that would be a great cheap way of getting there but um (laughs) 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 yeah um we choose our kite size based on our body weight Okay. Right. So I'm always going to be on a smaller kite than my husband who weighs more than me. I'll be on a bigger kite than a little kid who who um, uh, doesn't weigh as much as me. So choosing the right kite size is super important. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if I, so, how do you buy these kites? Where do you go? Sorry. Like, 
you go to a kite store. Yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of kite stores around. I'm sure I'm sure uh, anybody who's travelled along the coast of Australia might have seen kite boarders and kite surfers out yeah. there. And so yeah. we we have our we have our favourite kite stores. Mine is Kite Power in yeah. Sydney when I'm there, and also Kite Thrills when I'm up in Queensland. They're two very very good stores. But there's more out there. Kite Republic down in Melbourne is an excellent excellent store. So. Depending on where you live, there's going to be a kite store near you that you can go into and speak to the experts Love in it. there. And mm-hmm. um, and there's lots of choices of brands, sizes, and also styles of kite. A lot of people may not realize is there's kites that are designed for jumping. Now I don't give I don't give those to beginners because they don't want to jump <laughs> unintentionally. But once once you're comfortable on your kites, you can buy a kite that's going to help you get bigger jumps. Um, you can buy a kite that's designed for riding waves. Mm. And those uh, kites are very different to the jumping kites. They drift down the line so that you can, you can surf the wave beautifully. And I actually love using wave kites on the mountain. Um, yeah. Those same features that we use in the waves are fantastic when you're trying to, um, you know, ski or snowboard down a mountain with the kite in your hand. So um, are they, are they, this is another dumb question, but I mean, do, how are the features different from a kiteboard for the water to the snow? Is there anything that's different at all? Um, as I mentioned, we've got the inflatable kites, which are designed for water kiting. And then you've got the foil kites. Now, a foil kite, we do not pump it up, mm. um, you know, with a with a Coleman pump. Um, it's just layers of fabric. And it's designed that once you launch the kite, it mm. self-inflates with the wind. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and those those kites, um, in the past, we didn't use them on water because if you crashed them in the water, they would mm. sink and you would have to swim in with this big mess of fabric and lines oh and um, it can yeah. be like a sea anchor. Um, these days, the advanced water kiters are using foils on the water when they're using those hydrofoil boards that you oh, might yeah. have seen yeah. becoming well, very popular. That's what I was getting confused about because my husband is a foiler, like he's an ocean foiler and he, he's in with a bunch of blokes and they go foiling. So that I picked up on that word and then I'm thinking, oh, my God, there's so many aspects of it. Yeah, all, it, it's one of the words that has multiple meanings in our sport. So I can call a foil kite is what I was talking about in terms of kites, but then we also have a hydrofoil board, yeah. right? So So when we say, you know, uh, flying a foil, um, there can be a little bit of confusion in that. And that's why I was mentioning all the different styles mm-hmm. of kiting. You know, if your partner's a, a foiler, that's one yeah. style. Then you've got freestylers who are going to be jumping. Then you've got your wave riders, mm-hmm. right, who are riding waves. And it's the same in in snow kiting. You're going to have people who want to use the kite for just touring around the backcountry, um, easy access instead of hiking, right? Um, And they tend to mostly just use it for transport. Um, And they're going to want a kite that's nice and small and light that fits in their backpack so that, that, you know, it's not um, weighing them down on their backcountry mission. I think that that one appeals to me already. (laughs) Like what? That's like the worst. The worst part of backcountry touring is the uphill bit. That's right. Oh, it's amazing when you when you've got the skills to use your kite to tow you up a mountain. Um, wow. um I've I've actually uh, been towed 
over 3,000 feet up to the top of a mountain where the helicopter lands and I got myself there with the kite. So essentially um, they're great for along the flats, but once you have the skills, you can learn to use the kite to take you up the mountain, just like having your own personal, you know, rope toe or chairlift really. It's amazing. What what's um you're talking about like kind of the surf aspect? What do you have? What's easier for you if you're learning if you take if you're starting to um snow kite? Is it going to be on skis or is it going to be on a snowboard? Like or does it just depend on the skill that you actually already have? Um, it's going to be much much easier on skis than a snowboard. Yeah. Right. But if you're not a skier, that doesn't matter. Um, you know, it's kind of like learning to snowboard. That first day was horrible. I remember you fall yeah. on your ass, but then, you know, the second and the third day, you've got it. It's going to be the same for snow kiting with, with a snowboard. It might just take a little bit longer, mainly because when we're on skis, we're standing up. Yeah. If I need to get tension on my kite lines, I can sidestep and easily get tension. Whereas a snowboarder, if they're sitting on their, on their bum, they're going to have to, you know, bounce backwards or trying to get tension on the lines. Mm. Um, a snowboard also has more friction. Um, so snowboarders tend to need just a, a little bit bigger kite to, to give them a little bit more power, especially if they want to be pulled up the mountain does anyone um like I was just wondering about how long it takes someone to master it is it a one day thing or is it more like golf (laughs) over your whole life does it can it look scrappy in the beginning and work or is it like you've got to get it before you get some success um uh, that's another great question the first kite lesson that you take whether you're learning to kiteboard on water or kiteboard on snow is going to involve the trainer kite which I was telling you about those things are so safe that um they're fantastic I teach you to launch them how to land them and then we work on a few maneuvers with the kite some flying skills once you've got those maneuvers then it's time to put your skis and your snowboard on. Mm. Uh, my goal, and I hope it's everyone else's goal that comes out snow cutting with me, is to get your first rides in your first lesson. Mm. So in the first three hours, you're going to learn the safety, some flying maneuvers, and you're going to get your skis and snowboard on. Um, as I mentioned, the trainer kites come in different sizes, and so I might put you on a slightly bigger trainer kite when you're ready for that. Um, I love the three three meter or three and a half or four meter kite um that will tell you if we've got some decent wind you'll get your first rides you won't be going fast but you'll get your first rides um and that's really because it's so exciting yeah yeah it is like so because if you're learning to ski it's going to take you two days before you get up a lift you know because you've got to learn to stop you've got to learn to turn you've got to learn to do all that kind of same as a snowboard so it's quite a fast advancement i you know if you kind of within four or five hours you kind of put your skis on and you're bloody getting towed by a kite I'm sorry <laughs> I have, it sounds really exciting to me but at the same time I'm like oh my god my adrenaline <laughs> would be <laughs> thumping <laughs> like it would be inc- yeah just amazing it's, so, it's, can I just um put yeah. something in there the the great thing about snow kiting is how quickly we can learn to kite that being said, if you're wanting to learn to kiteboard on water, it's going to be a lot longer progression 
right? Because you're having to deal with learning how to get out of the water and onto the board. And, and um, yeah, there's, there's a lot more to learn. So learning to kiteboard, um, plan on sort of getting maybe three, four lessons, and you'll be getting, you know, some ride, first rides on the board. But um, for snow kiting, it's so exciting for people because they're going to get their first ride safely on the first day. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So how much knowledge, cause I come from an, like I come from a beach background, but I'm not a sailing background. Mm-hmm. So I don't really get wind. I know if it's onshore or offshore on the waves, like, but yep. taking and getting to the mountains, I get it too. But how much knowledge and background do I need to know about wind and ropes? Like, or do you teach me that all on the day? I teach I teach every everything on the day. Um, I don't presume anybody has too much knowledge before they they arrive, and so I make sure I cover everything. Just even yeah. if they've had a lesson before, it's really important to to refresh all the safety and just make sure there's no gaps in people's people's learning. Um, wind wind is something that if you've done any sailing, that's going to help. But most people that come to me have no wind experience. And and uh, the wind is my best friend. Oh, I love the wind so much. When there's people in the in the chairlift line, and they're going, oh my God, it sucks. It's so windy today. I'm like dancing. I'm so excited to head out there <laughs> and play with play with my best friend. So, um, you know, it's, it's always my goal to uh, give a lot of wind knowledge to people and, and, and help them to learn to love the wind. We're gonna um, we're gonna think of you next time when we're shivering on a chairlift and it's windy, or we might be cursing you. I'm not sure. Well, well, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna have to change my attitude. I'm always like, oh, yeah. wind makes me whingy, but I'm oh. sure if I put a kite on my hands, it's gonna change everything. Oh, you, you'll be you'll be loving it. You know, it's so amazing that we can use Mother Nature's natural power to be towed yeah. around the mountains instead of using fuel. You know, it's such a such a greeny sport and anybody who's into getting outside the ski resorts into the backcountry, adding a kite into your backcountry quiver is mm. it's just a, a game changer for the excitement and the fun that you can have out there. Um yeah. Wow. yeah. So so where in the backcountry are you do you go in Australia? Because there's I mean a lot of people just go to resorts, they look at the backcountry and they go, oh radio, they don't actually realize there's quite a lot of flat area once you get out the backcountry. So mm-hmm. where do you go in Australia? So in Australia, I'm a bit of a threadbow girl. I had my I was a uh, I was a ski instructor at Threadbow at the age of 14. My my parents lied about my age and snuck, <laughs> snuck me in there, which um I'm so grateful for because that started my journey in learning to be an instructor and a coach. Um wow. but it also, you know, Threadbow is is my my home resort and I've been playing in in the resort and in the backcountry for mm. 40 plus years so mm-hmm. um so I love to go out of Threadbow we've got really great access out of Threadbow because I believe um that we have better wind flow at high altitude you know if we can if we can find the wind blowing straight on us with no obstacles upwind rather than being down in the valley where the wind is already flowing through the mountains and changing direction and it might pick up speed in places or there might be wind holes um I really like getting to high altitude so Redbow allows me to do that um, in New South Wales. Charlotte's Pass also is is a great place to go from um, in Victoria, Falls Creek and Hotham. Yeah. Are the go-to places for snow kiters. And there's um there's Facebook groups. You've got Vic Snow Kiters, 
in Victoria and Cozzy Kiders. Um, those are both Facebook groups that you can join if you're interested in the sport to to learn more about it and and find um, find partners to go with, which is which is so important. Yeah. So what's the rules? Like, oh, sorry, I've got two questions now. Based yeah. on the partners, it's a bit like backcountry ski. Yeah. Like, go with someone that's probably your ability. That's my first question. Sorry. And second question: How do you do you have to buy lift parts to get up, or do you have to hike up the hills to get to the back? Um, or the best can thing you get your kite on and go. I'm at Threadbow. I'm going up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish. I wish. No, there's there are some rules, and it's really important that we respect that rules in order to um, maintain the longevity of our sport. Um, I am very lucky to to work for K Seven Adventures, and Pete and Acacia were so wonderful to help me set up the permits and and set up the meetings with national parks in order to to you know gain permission for snow kiters um, yeah. to use the backcountry. And yes, there are some rules. You know, the rules are no kiting inside the resort and mm-hmm. also um no kiting just outside the boundary don't be lazy you've got to hike for a little bit to get away from the ski resort so that um in case you let's just say you pull your safety release on your kite mm-hmm. and it blows into ski resort and gets wrapped around a chairlift yeah they're not yeah. going to be too happy about that that no, would be the no. end of it i'm i'm for sure. So, so stay away from the resort. Um, make sure there's nothing upwind or downwind of you. Um, and be very observant of other backcountry users. Um, the national park does have rules uh, about staying away from the Kosciuszko walking track and the track to Charlotte's Pass, which totally makes sense. We don't want to be yeah. flying our kite over other users. Some of them might enjoy watching us. Others might get pissed off. So, so yeah. just, you know, making sure that, that we're, we're not um, just being a nice human. Just really. being a nice human. It's, it's it's all it's all it's all common sense. Um, yeah, it's all quite self-explanatory, isn't it? I mean, of course, you know, you sort of think, where can I go and what can I do? But when you explain it back to us, it makes sense. Like, just keep away from everyone and don't ruin it. <laughs> you, know? Yeah. you know. Yeah, and and also, um, it's really important um, to have some backcountry knowledge and skills. I I think that it's uh, really common right now to have people who are who are advanced kiteboarders on water. And you know what? They're advanced skiers or snowboarders too, and they feel like they can just go out there and put the two together. But there's a third skill that's required, and that is backcountry safety, snow yeah. science, and skills in order to, um, you know have an emergency plan in place and do risk yeah. assessment and, you know, put in an intention form so people know where you're going, having first aid and um, rescue gear with you and communication plan, not just your phone. Your phone's going to die if you take photos and video all day. You need yeah. to have, you know, a PLB, an EPIRB, a spot tracker, um, and the ability to be able to give emergency services your GPS coordinates yeah. as well. So. Yeah. Um, it's all the same skills as we need for backcountry touring. And so I recommend anybody who is wanting to go snow kiting but has no backcountry skills to, to get in a, a guided backcountry intro tour, go and do an AVI course, go and do wilderness first aid. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though we are just out there on the flats, some people may, you know, think, oh, we don't need avalanche 
ear or we don't need all this stuff. Yes, you do. Yeah. Um, there have been cases of snow kiters being out there on the flats and um, seeing somebody else get caught in an avalanche. And if we didn't have our beacons on to go and search for them, we'd feel pretty bad, wouldn't we? So yeah, we wear our we wear our beacons not to be rescued ourselves, but actually to rescue our friends and partners as well. There's mm. also a lot of um. There's no trees out there, but there's obviously lots of crevasses and rocks and kind of creeks and everything. Especially coming into springtime, that you don't yeah. that you're not wary of as well. So I think yeah. Yeah, I think the more people get educated, I guess that's get back to the other question is that if you're choosing someone to go, if you're on one of those Facebook groups and you go, I'm out here this weekend. Yep. If you've got knowledge of going on a backcountry course, or if you've got something that you know the rules already, so that's a really good, really good question. Do you find that it's like another step if your backcountry is the next step snow kiting? Or uh, no, it's two completely different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. Once I mean, if you've already got ski and snowboard skills, right, and then you've got some backcountry skills, then you can come and have a lesson and, and I can teach you the, the kite skills or you yeah. can go and have a kite lesson at any of those kite stores I mentioned. Um, yeah. Even if you're not interested in learning to kite on water, go and get the first lesson. They're going to teach you all the same things that I do on snow and then next winter you're going to have some extra skills. You'll already be a, a few steps down the track. Mm. Right. Um, yeah. I think the it, it does become um, more advanced. Backcountry skills are required when we're snow kiting because mm-hmm. we're covering ground a lot more ground. Yeah. Um, we can change aspects on the mountain very easily. We're playing on wind loaded slopes because we love the wind. So yeah, yeah so definitely um, you want to start building your backcountry knowledge and plan on getting to an advanced level. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, these yeah. are all, it's so important, isn't it? Because, you know, I've seen photos of the, the snow kiting and thought, oh, yeah, you know, just jump on and have a go, wonder if it takes me up in the air. But like you're saying, it's like a progression and each of those steps are just so crucial to coming yeah. back alive, I guess. It, it really it really is. And I think the other thing that I, I really want to um, make a point about is that once we're outside the resort boundaries, it's not ski patrol's job to come and rescue us. I'm in communication with ski patrol on a regular basis and uh, by law they are not allowed to come and get us. It is not their job. Um, Mm. If we're out there and we do get into trouble, don't ring ski patrol. Ring triple zero in Australia and then search and rescue based out of Jindabyne is going to put a plan in place. If somebody has had a major injury, Yes, Ski Patrol may join that rescue team and jump in, but it needs to be initiated by search and rescue. And, um, you know, there have been, unfortunately, a couple of accidents um, where, where somebody, a snow kiter has gotten hurt out there. Um, and unfortunately, not a lot of their friends or partners were carrying any of the gear needed to help them, um, wow. which is why I'm, I'm being so proactive in trying to, to share as much safety information as I can. Yeah. Mm. It's only going to help everyone. I mean, I don't, I think, I think the more people are talking about it, the more people are understanding how dangerous our backcountry is. Not dangerous. We don't want to live in fear because that's, that's not right. <laughs> but no, but just how unpredictable our backcountry can be, I guess. And then the more that you're prepared for it, the better your experience will be. I, I'm. Yep. That's, that's exactly, exactly right. Um, you know, we want to forecast 
what the weather's doing and that that tends to be you know a huge part of snow kiting I'm just a amateur meteorologist and a and addicted to looking at all the wind sensors constantly mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so we want to forecast weather and we want to forecast wind but the other um, thing that we need to forecast is the snow surface there will be times when we've got perfect wind for flying a kite but the snow surface um, is a red flag it might be hard pack and icy. It might have little chunks that are going to catch your lines or you might catch an edge and the chance of injury is higher. Mm-hmm. So snow surface is also something to, to think about and to, to plan for. So, you know, forecast with weather apps, forecast with your avalanche um, advisories and, um, and also be prepared to turn back. If you start mm-hmm. seeing red flags, it's the same as backcountry touring. You know, one red flag you might be able to deal with, two, ooh, three red flags, and, hey, today I, may not be your day. I'd say okay. apply yeah. the same logic to the kite surfing as you would as you approach marriage. Any red flags, just examine <laughs> them carefully and uh, don't be afraid to turn back. <laughs> That's it. That's exactly right. In uh, when you're doing your avalanche training, they call it the human factor, and yeah. it's a big, big chapter that we need to evaluate our, um, you know, our mental state. Uh, and lucky females tend to tend to have that um, that sort of intuition inside them that that mm. tells them, hey, maybe not today's not the day. But yeah. uh, males tend to be so excited. They've got the day off away from the kids. They've planned it with their mates. Oh, my God, this is going to be the best day ever. And, um, you know, you, we re- really need to to be smart and and, uh, and be aware that we might need to say, hey, it's not it's not the right time. Yeah, yes. that's true. Yes. That's right. So, so tell us about, like, sorry, we I'm getting into your 18 years worth of experience here. Like, wow. So that even even more, I guess, because you started when you were 14. So you have got a lot of knowledge in your head of like skiing and teaching and communicating. Where, where is your where is your favorite place to do this on the earth? We note that you've been to Idaho, Alaska, Montana, like <laughs> incredible journeys. Oh, I am, I am so lucky and grateful for, for the journey that my kite has taken me on. Um, and all the places I got to go. Uh, I remember in 2012 getting an email asking me to join the, the North American snow kite tour. And that was incredible. For a month, I got to travel around all of the snow kite locations in North America. And during that, during that time, um, you know, on the weekends, we had, had lessons and we had races and then during during the week, we, we would be doing some filming with the crew and I got to go to some incredible places. On, on the weekends, the boys would, would run a men's clinic and I would run a, a women's clinic for the girls. And, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was just such a, a great thing to do, to check out so many different locations Mm. Um, my favorite spot in the world is Alaska because (laughs) I love snow kiting up big mountains like I I love skiing big mountains too Um, and that really gives you the opportunity to snow kite on on big slopes Mm. rather than just on the flats Um, I was able to go to Norway as well to compete in the Red Bull Ragnarok um, (laughs) and Norway has ah that has incredible terrain for for beginners and intermediates and and advanced. You can just go for miles, even tour tour around to all the different huts and things like that. Um, 
Uh, I have gotten to snow kite in some remote villages in Alaska. This year uh, I was able to snow kite on the sea ice, which oh, is wow. so amazing for somebody who's kited on, on you know, frozen lakes, the ocean, in the waves and in the mountains. Um, and that was a new surface for me to, to feel like a polar bear out yeah. there on the sea ice cruising around with my kite. It was, in, mm. it was incredible. Um, new Zealand has incredible kiting. Uh, Australia actually has really great snow kiting. As you mentioned, it's mm. there's a lot of flat stuff around uh, and snow kiting gives us the ability to have so much fun on the flats. You can go fast. You can you can get powder shots on the flat, right? Face yeah, yeah. shots flying. Um, <laughs> I love it. Woo! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so tell us about your Norway experience. I just watched a little bit of that, doing a little bit of research on you. That looked crazy. There was a course on the ground with like 200 kites ready to go. Can you tell us your experience? Oh, with- my gosh. The <laughs> Red Bull Ragnarok is <laughs> the most ultimate snow kite endurance race in the world right it is uh you've got five hours right five hours to complete as many laps as you possibly can right each lap (laughs) each lap is about 30 30 kilometers so it's massive it's very much like sailing you can't they'll have these markers that you've got to go around but you can't see them they're over over hills, over mountain ranges, in valleys. So uh, competing in the Red Bull Ragnarok really brought all of my skills together. I needed navigation skills, right? I needed, of course, ski skills. And uh, I I wore some um, uh, GS race skis um, with the kite to to get my fastest speeds for that. Um, you, You need high wind kite skills, low wind kite skills, and, of course, endurance. Uh, when I spoke to people who had done the race previously, I said, okay, what's going to be the hardest part? And they said, getting past the first lap. Oh, because of all the people. Oh, well, yes, yes, and also <laughs> just because most people only complete one lap because it's just so physically exhausting um the start line was the craziest part as you mentioned uh, there were 400 kites on a start line and I'd heard that you know approximately 80 kites get tangled on the start line so if you want to do well in the race Mm -hmm. um you want to stay out of the chaos and so I took a very wide mark I didn't have the best start but you know what I got through it without any kite mares we call them kite mares and I thought the start was going to be the trickiest part but the trickiest part was actually getting through the first mark because all of a sudden you've got these two flags you've got to go through which are about uh you know maybe 10 meters apart and you've got 400 people trying to funnel through them oh my gosh yeah it wow. was it was crazy and things worse than Patty Pallon. No. <laughs> no. Oh my God. It, it, was, it was crazy. But High all, speed entanglement. <laughs> all that all that time maneuvering trying to get first chairlift at Threadboat obviously paid off because I was able to maneuver around and do something called a down loop, which allowed me to to go on the inside of, of everybody. And I must have overtaken about oh, 30, 40 people just on that one one move. Um it was the wow. hardest. It was the hardest thing I had ever ever done, and um, you know I could I could talk 
talk about my story for over an hour, so I'll, I'll try to keep it keep it quick. But um, there was mental strategy, physical strategies involved, and um, I I gave it my all. I made it um, four laps mm. and four marks. I was right before the finish line of the five laps at the five hour mark um and I collapsed with dehydration at that point I had I had pushed myself as hard as physically possible I just hadn't planned that I needed extra energy actually to get home so (laughs) they picked me up in a snow machine um now before that race no female had ever ever completed five laps right yeah, so um, I did get beat by the by, by Steph Bridge, and she was the five times world champion for snow kiting, um, and she had done this race five times. That was my first time, and I was so proud of myself to have gotten um, a second place in, in absolutely, um, and yeah, to have right. gotten um, further than any other female apart from Steph had gotten before. Yeah. Well done. Wow. Wow. That yeah. That is incredible just thinking about what you had to achieve and just watching it and amongst it. Like how many women actually do this? Just you it, it, Good, good <laughs> question. There were, there were probably, uh, I, I, boy, I don't know that number. I'm going to guess at about 50 over skis and snowboard. Plus we had divisions for foil kites and for inflatable kites. So mm-hmm. um, there were a few, few divisions. I uh, competed in the fastest division, which was using foil kites with skis. And, yeah. um, and amazing. it was amazing to, to meet all these other uh, females that love snow kiting. Yeah. How how big is the worldwide community of snow kiting? Like is it? You've opened my eyes up today to something I did not even know existed. So I am like, how do I, where am I researching? What am I doing? (laughs) Yeah, snow snow kiting is, it's hard. There's very few sort of statistics and numbers to put on it. But there are snow kiters all over the world um it's huge in france and italy and europe mm. it's big in north america it's big in new zealand there's snow kites oh. everywhere but because we're all sort of um out there in this backcountry terrain which is so vast and so so wild um we end up spreading out yeah. and and uh you know it very rarely gets busy unless you go to an actual snow kite event or, or race, which uh, I love to go to those events because then we get to to see and uh, meet all these other snow kiters from around the world. So like yeah, communities, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's so amazing, isn't it? We Tanil and I are always talking about how small the snow industry is in anyway. You know, I mean, with our podcast and with the yeah the snow industry the way it is, but it's just a whole another branch, sub branch, isn't it? But it's massive. Yeah, it, it it really is. Um, you know, they say, "Hey, find your niche," and and yeah. I I found my niche. I love my snow kiting, mm-hmm. and then actually I've niched down even further to to focus on teaching women mm-hmm. to do this sport because I found that there were a lot of women who were interested, but they had a lot of fear mm-hmm. um, involved and worried, um, you know, about the dangers of the sport. And I was so grateful to. Um, to be able to attend some women's kiteboarding camps when I was learning to kite. And I found them so helpful to, to you know, be in a class with other women. And I wasn't the only one that was scared. We were all scared. Yeah. And and we we learned these lessons. And, and I progressed through those women's camps from a beginner 
to intermediate to advanced and then I started teaching at mm. these women's camps um, and now I'm I'm so stoked to be run, running women's snow kite camps around the world to to give these ladies the opportunity to come and learn with a bunch of girls and we laugh and we giggle and we're scared and and we find courage and and I share my my tips with them and it's so amazing to to see how empowered these women are after these snow kite events, yeah. not just in the sport of snow kiting, but it's so empowering um, to learn how to find that courage needed with mm. any aspect in your life, right? Yeah. yeah that's a, tell us about what you've got. Um, you've got one coming up in Australia. I mean, the beauty of our interview with you is that we're going to be listening to this hopefully for the next couple of years, but if we're just talking about your 2022 women's camp, Tell us about that. What does it involve? So, so this year's been a little tricky um, with find, finding dates and locations and accommodation down the mountains. Oh, and yeah. right, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and even even places to park your your van if you're you're a van a van girl yeah. like I am. Yeah. So, um, so it has been a, a little bit tricky, but we are planning to be at Charlotte's Pass for a week. From the 18th to the 25th of September yeah. and um, I'm inviting all the girls to come up if you can't come for the week just come for a day um, it looks like we're getting a bunch of girls that are planning to come on uh, I think it's the Saturday the 24th of September yeah. and um, I'm excited to where are you staying at Charlotte's we're staying at a lodge up there um, yeah. right on snow so it makes it easy ac as, um, access and we've got I've got deals with the resort so that we've got uh it's depending on their standard of kiting if they've never flown a kite before I'll give them a trainer kite if they're already kiting on on water I'll give them some tips for using their inflatables on snow and I'll get everybody oh taking gosh. the next steps yeah, yeah amazing I'll... amazing what a day what a day. Um, so after <laughs> after the three hour session during that time, you might want to stop, have a drink, have some lunch, and we'll have a you know a time where I call everybody back, and that's time for pack up, and then we're going to ride back to resort, and uh, most of the time it's downhill all the way back to resort. Yeah. Um, if you've got any energy left, you're welcome to to ride down with me and ski all the way down to the bottom or if you've used up all your energy like I did at that Red Bull Ragnarok you can download on the chair which mm. uh which can be a great option especially if we've stopped for a beer at the at the uh, eagle's nest up there I love that I love it oh my gosh so how how do we find you how do we find these days not just your wind and snow adventure week which is coming up but how do we find you for next year if we're not really prepared for this year <laughs> yeah, really- you can yeah you can find me at adrenogen so yeah. adrenogen.com is my website adrenogen on facebook adrenogen on instagram is love my it. handle um please send me send me a message as you can tell i love talking snow kiting so if you want to yeah. talk snow kiting please give me a call or message me um and i'll be be keen to to answer any of your questions yeah, can we amazing. can we book a private with you can we get four women or our hubbies and our children and can we go we're down yes. on the state we're here at the snow for a week we'd like to do one day of this or two days probably because we'll all get addicted or yep. three or four <laughs> is that a possibility that you can get going Def- 
Definitely. So I I take bookings for private lessons. I just booked a private lesson, which I'm super excited about today for a family. I've got a, I think it's a 14 and a 16 year old kid and a dad coming along for a private session with me. And I get, I get super excited to see families doing it together because it is something that the kids can do quite Mm. safely as well. So, um, yeah, totally. One question we haven't covered, um, is, I don't think we have is how, what is the bare minimum ability? Of skiing? Skiing yeah. and snowboarding yeah. ability. Yeah, great question. Yeah. Um, you want to be an intermediate to advanced. Okay. If, if you're still, you know, on the green and the blue runs. Um, don't, I don't, don't think those people would want to attach a height to their hands anyway. Well, <laughs> believe it or not, I've got I've got some people who are really good kiteboarders on water, but their ski skills are lacking, and they have tried. Oh, of yeah. So, so it, it it is really important to to work on all three skill sets: yeah. your skiing, snowboard skills. If you're not sure, go and get another lesson. Um, practice your skiing, and let me know where you, where you're up to. Um, practice practice your backcountry skills. Right, oh. go and do a course, and then and then kite skills. So. Another question: Can I go in my downhill gear? Can I go in my downhill boots, or do I have to have cross country boots? Um, do I have to have backcountry? Um, you can you can use your your alpine boots. It's not going to be as comfortable on the hike there and back. Um, mm-hmm. In Idaho and Alaska, where I teach, um, we park our cars on the side of the road and we 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 set up our gear right next to the the edge of the yeah, road. Nice. So there's there's not a lot of um, you know backcountry needed in those respects. And I do you know have a lot of people turn up with alpine gear, but you also want to think about it if. You get into snow kiting, it's so easy to cover some ground and be a long way from home. And what happens if the wind dies? Yeah. Or what happens if you crash your kite and it and you know it's tangled and you can't kite back? You need to have a way of getting back. And so I recommend using backcountry gear and and backcountry boots are just so much more comfortable having that walk mode um, <laughs> you know, for transport. Yeah, you can hire all that. I mean, if it's it's not yeah. a, it's not a inhibitor. You can hire all that from Australia. Yeah. That, that's that's right. I was surprised. I recently, well, I recently did some backcountry and used some old stuff. But then, I after that, I went into the shop to see about hiring. You know, because I'm in that transition phase between what gear do I want to get. I was surprised how reasonably priced hiring for one day was. Um, yeah. So just a little side note. Yeah, and I thought it would be a lot more expensive, and it's and also the quality of gear in the shops is is really fantastic because uh, there's a lot of stores who have just put in a quiver of backcountry gear to rent, and so a lot of the times, you know, the boots are are nearly new, the gears. The gear is the latest and the greatest. So, um, yeah, you're not going to be, you know, getting some old, old fashioned gear from a cross country store. Make sure you get Alpine touring gear. Yeah, right. And something that's new and modern. And be yeah. honest when you go into the shop of your ability. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Exactly. You would know that having run a Canberra adventure store yeah. for too many years. Yes. It's, it's, it's it's that... up. Needs to be. Well, it, it has to be <laughs> said, though, doesn't it? Because I used to be like 20 years ago, I used to go um, horse riding with a friend, and she used to always say to me, always make out your ability is better than it is because otherwise they'll give you the dud horses. We, no. You know, they'll give you like the horse that can barely walk and everything. So, yeah, it has to be said that you 
Yeah. <laughs> don't want to be doing that. <laughs> and, and while we're also talking about that, you know, it, it's very common for women to underplay their ability and men to overplay their ability. And it's so important that we, we give an accurate account of our ability and also um, an accurate account of our weight. It's very um, easy when you go you? into the no, ski shop. I don't want to now. <laughs> uh, when we go in the ski shop and they say, yeah. okay, how much do you weigh? We've got to set your bindings. Yeah. Um, you know, I, it's very common for women to give their naked weight and also give their naked weight that they might want to be rather oh. than what they actually are. And therefore, your bindings are not going to be set correctly, especially when we're backcountry ski touring. This is such an important point. You're going to weigh a lot with big heavy skis and boots and a big backpack on and all your kite gear. All of a sudden, we're not naked anymore. Our body weight is a lot more when we're backcountry touring and snow kiting. And so it's important to make sure our bindings are set correctly um, for that weight. That is right? the best tip I've heard in many, many, many years. And I have been around the industry for a long time, but I never thought about the weight that you're carrying for your binding. It's always because yeah. you get your binding set and you talk about it. And then, I mean, I haven't had my binding reset for friggin' years, you know. Well, I did because I got a knee reconstruction, but anyway. Um, yeah. But you don't think about the that additional five kilos, that additional, and that's the difference between coming out of you finding when you want to and, oh, my gosh, love yeah. that. Love and that and it tends to be one of the things that happens is people will be using a touring binding for the first time and they'll pre-release because they've given their naked weight and they're like, oh, these bindings are shit, they're never going to stand up to, to riding in resort. Um, no, they're just set incorrectly. So it's really, really important to, to make sure your bindings are set correctly. I, I carry a posi drive in my pack and I'm a certified binding technician so I can adjust people's bindings out there because it's a very common thing for them yeah. to not be set correctly. So. Yeah, you would see it all, I would imagine. Like, yeah. <laughs> I feel very safe in your company going out into that country. I'm, oh, I'm thank you. Yes, it's yeah. really, it, yeah, it's a, it's just an incredible amount of um, information. And I can even see Tanil and I next year running some um, women's um, weekend girls retreats in um, Perisha, and I can even see that that could be on the cards. Yeah, oh, definitely. Get I, would, in I would love women. to send me an invite ladies we will we yeah, will definitely so but yeah so so I guess just kind of finishing up today because it's uh, you've just inspired me my gosh like yeah. I'm damn that I can't do the I can't do the end of this year because it's already too it's already school holidays and kids are booked out nah. anyway but I would definitely, oh, my gosh, I, I may try and move it around. I don't know. We'll see what I can do. But it's incredible. You have absolutely inspired me to go a different path in the mountains I love, which is, I think is, you know, you just don't think about it in Australia or you don't think about it if you're on a holiday. You just kind of go ski the downhill yeah. and go up and you go down. And But this is another whole avenue. You can go with loving the snow, you know, like loving the snow life. <laughs> yeah it's it's definitely um changed you know rather than me just chasing ski resorts around the world I'm chasing yeah. the best best snow and mountain locations in the world and um and mm. and creating my own fun with 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 a kite it's amazing yeah, yeah it's just opened up so yeah, much sure. I love it I love it so we kind of finish up all, all our interviews with saying where's your favorite place to snow kite in the world or a ski in the world <laughs> well that that's an easy answer for me because it's where my heart lies and I'm so passionate about it and that is 
Thompson Pass in Alaska, which is just mm-hmm. out of Valdez. Yeah. It's some of the best access ski touring, snow kiting, riding snow machines, helicopter skiing, glacier tours. You know, when it's not windy um, up there, I'm taking people inside iceberg crevasses and and uh going stand-up paddle boarding and, wow. and dog sleds and the the adventures up there are endless it's so not what's this called where do we get there how do we get there do we you, go you fly you fly into anchorage alaska okay. and then you've got the choice of flying directly into valdez uh, my favorite way of doing it is flying to anchorage and renting an rv yeah. And driving the RV on the most beautiful road in the world, past all the mountains and glaciers, down to Valdez, and um, and then basing out of there. Then you've got the option of being in town when you need to have showers and get your groceries and have a have a good meal. And then you've also got the option of parking it in the mountains, away from the lights, being able to see the northern lights, being at the base of the mountain, and yeah. being able to adventure straight out your door first thing in the morning. Wow. So is this, is this best in February, March, or is it? The best time is actually March and April. March and April. Yeah, February um, can can have some great days, but you can also get stormed in for a couple of weeks, you yeah. know. Um, yeah. So by by March we're starting to get some breaks in the weather and getting a few more bluebird days. Um, April is incredible up there. You're getting a lot of blue days and um, some great snow conditions and uh yeah the alaska snow kite festival is on the first week of april so that's when all of us snow kiters speed flyers paragliders planes everything everything flies in in for that week and uh and we get to all hang out and uh, enjoy our enjoy our wind sports i'd just be standing there going wow Wow, <laughs> I know. Okay, I've just got a pair of skis and some boots. <laughs> it, it is it is so visually spectacular to see all these big, colourful kites flying in the sky. I'm sure you were amazed when you saw that Red Bull Ragnarok footage. It really was. It's just spectacular on a on a white background to have all these colourful kites. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Well, thank you so much for today. I've learnt so much, and it's really yeah, giving us a lot of FOMO. Ah, well, don't have FOMO, book with, book a trip, book a lesson with me and uh, let's go snow kiting. Absolutely, we will, 100%. (laughs) Thank you so much, Jenny, appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Loving the Snow Life with Emma and Tennille. If you've learned a handy tip or two, then happy days. To catch all our episodes, subscribe on iTunes. It's free head over to www.lovingthesnowlife.com.au for more info and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Loving the Snow Life. If you have any suggestions for topics or guests, then email us on our website. Thanks to everyone who leaves a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to share our episodes on your social media.